Why can't you control your demon, baby? Get that thing to shut up. Ah, I'm glad that's not my kid. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. Today on the show, we help a postdoc find time for research while raising kids. Stay with us. Back we are. This is Hello PhD, episode 28. Your, your impression? <laughs> yeah. Okay, carry on with the introduction, please. I'm Joshua Hall. <laughs> and I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. You've been watching way too much Star Wars. Dan, have you seen the new Star Wars yet? I have not, and I will not. You know, I saw it on opening night. I know you did, because you told me the spoilers the minute you got back. Okay, before everyone thinks I'm a horrible person... You said that you weren't going to see it, and you asked me to just Yeah, that's true. That is true. You saved me $30 and three hours. But seriously, my favorite part was at the end where... Yoda explodes, (laughs) I assume. Spoiler alert, Yoda is a puppet, not a Muppet. Is that true? I thought Jim Henson designed it. Yeah, he's a Muppet. Okay, fantastic. Total Muppet. Okay, back to the important things. Uh, Welcome to the show. We are enjoying a very special brew this week in our ethanol section. Yes, we discussed last week the fact that we drink way too many IPAs because Dan will often go get the beer. So I'm happy to report that I took a trip to my favorite local beer store and picked up some decidedly not IPAs. So this week we are taking a walk on the wild side. And this is the Unity Vibration Bourbon Peach American Wild Ale Kombucha Beer from... Michigan. I believe you just used a random word generator and made up a beer name. I believe this is from Ypsilanti, Michigan. Did I say that right, Dan? I, how would I know how to say Ypsilanti? <laughs> I know we, there's no vowel between the Y, P, and S. So uh, I know we have some Michigan listeners, so maybe they'll let me know if I said that wrong. Um, but this is different. I like it. It's it's um a little bit more like cider than beer to me. It's It's quite sweet sour it's got um i I don't know i mean you have you had kombucha um i don't think that i have so that's a fermented tea right fermented tea it's got a bacteria yeast floating mat in it that turns the sugar into acetic acid and some other delicious things but um it's super popular now it's like all over the place yeah you definitely get a little bit of that vinegary bite to it yeah you would have thought the beer skunked but but you know actually intentional it's weird i feel like you know the the trendy thing on the horizon now is the the sour beers. Yeah, where you trying to make them as sour as possible. And, and I am I am not at all a sour beer fan. I have really tried, but this one you get a little hint of sour, but then there's enough sweetness from the peaches that it really balances it out pretty okay. I yeah, think. I think it's really it's tasty. It's it's very refreshing, and I think the sweetness does make it more like a cider. Um, color is a bit on the yellow side, quite cloudy. Yeah, it's not an appealing color to me. I think the bottle would have been a little better. Um, but I got to say, Dan, this has all the things. So let me just read this to you, Dan. This is raw, gluten-free, vegan, unpasteurized, unfiltered. 
Is it fair trade? I imagine it's also fair trade, free range, and uh, grass fed. It's grass fed. That's what <laughs> I like. Solar powered, uh, all the things. But uh, this is okay, Dan. This is a nice, a nice change up from a nice departure from our usual fair. I don't know. It, it's a departure from our hipster IPAs into a hippie something else. I guess that's right. We've gone from hipster to hippie. So, Dan, what else? Uh, what have you been paying attention to this week? Well, particularly our. Our president of the United States gave his State of the Union address and spoke directly to the Hello PhD audience. That's right. This was his last one, so I think he wanted to make sure he talked to the Hello PhD crowd. Yeah, he he opened up. Um, well, we can listen to the to the clip and yeah. get it straight from his mouth. Yeah, let's play it. You know, last year, Vice President Biden said that with a new moonshot, America can cure cancer. Last month, he worked with this Congress to give scientists at the National Institutes of Health the strongest resources that they've had in over a decade. Well, so, so tonight I'm announcing a new national effort to get it done. And because he's gone to the mat for all of us on so many issues over the past 40 years, I'm putting Joe in charge of mission control. For the loved ones we've all lost, for the families that we can still save, let's make America the country that cures cancer once and for all. What do you say, Joe? Let's make it happen. So the the V POTUS, that's Vice President of the U.S. I never saw it written down until he wrote an article on Medium.com. The Veep, the Veep, and he really he he starts out with this concept of the moonshot. So JFK said, "We are going to the moon by the end of this decade," and the entire American public rallied around and they they did this thing because it was our national dream to do it. He wants to see that same thing um, as a cure for cancer, and. I think a lot of our listeners will hear that phrase, a cure for cancer, and, and probably cringe a little bit, I would expect. Yeah, I know as a you know, long-time lab dweller, biomedical researcher, you know, we used to poke fun at the, the undergrads or the new people in lab who would show up and say as their goal, I want to cure a disease, because we realized the reality of, of doing medical research is you know, it's a very slow methodical process and cures don't just happen right. on our own time scale. And if you're going to pick a disease, pick a cure for a particular kind of cancer, right? Like cancer is a very broad uh, description of a lot of different types of causes and effects. But, okay, so so that being said, I don't want to rain on his parade here because I think uh, it's really meaningful that, that research, that basic research um, and that translational research is getting some attention at that level. Um, I know you you recognized and realized that the NIH finally got some funding recently. Yeah, and you know, regardless of of how you feel about um, our politicians and about claims like curing cancer in the next year or five years or ten years, you know, I think all of us in this community have to be excited about 
you know, the bipartisan support that we've talked about on this show for medical research and finally seeing that gaining some traction and being realized in some actual practical ways. And so you guys may have heard this, but the latest budget that was passed by Congress recently will actually show a budget increase of $2 billion for the NIH, which is a 6% increase over their previous budget and the first increase in 10 years, over 10 years. Yeah, that's it's incredible. I mean, there were so much more money when we started graduate school than, than there has been over the last 10, 15 years. Um, so, so in terms of actual uh, what does that mean to cure cancer and, and what are the goals, um, he lays out in his, his article, he wants to increase resources, both private and public, to fight cancer. So I think that means money. Mm-hmm. That's my suspicion. Um, and the second thing is he, he really describes a lot of, um, he talks about silos. So people are working on cancer in different ways, but they're not really communicating. They're not really sharing data. Patients don't even get their own data, let alone sharing between regional cancer centers and cancer research hospitals. Um, very few cancer patients are in clinical trials. And... And so what he's talking about is kind of breaking down these silos, sharing the data among them. And his goal, I think it's kind of a cool one. I, I don't know if it's achievable. He says, we want to double the rate of progress to make a decade worth of advances in five years. I think that's, I think that's approachable in some way. It's, if you can throw enough money at a problem and get enough people interested, I think you can accelerate like that. Yeah, and you know, we talked about this on our eight ways to fix biomedical research episode several weeks ago. And, you know, one thing we discussed, and I think this is one reason why improving the NIH and the research budgets has bipartisan support, and that is for every dollar you put into medical research, you not only realize that in benefits economically from decreased healthcare costs by having a healthier society, but also, Dan, as you know, these dollars that flow into research labs actually go back into the economy in a lot of different ways, whether that's through the hiring of people to work in the lab or buying research supplies, which I know, unlike a lot of industries, a lot of the stuff we bought were made right in the United States, whether they were reagents or lab animals or whatever. Fetal bovine serum doesn't grow on trees. (laughs) That's right. It grows in bovine fetuses. That's right. So, you know, a lot of that money goes not only into uh, new discovery, but also in a very real way, goes back into the economy through hiring people who then pay taxes and through the purchase of products. Yeah, so I would love to hear from any listeners who are are in the world of maybe translational medicine, they're doing um, clinical research maybe. Let us know if you hear of any changes in how this funding is, is occurring or whether there are any changes in terms of, hey, we're being asked to share our data and our research into a, a larger national study um, I'd, I'd like to keep up with it, and we will let you know what we hear. Let us get to a question we received via email. All right, listener question, Dan. What is it? Okay, the email said, there was no name attached. We can probably make one up. I have kids and have to drop them off at daycare at 8 a.m. and pick them up around 5 p.m. My day is very well organized, and I'm making progress on a paper. But other postdocs and grad students spend a lot more time in the lab than I do. I'm worried the PI thinks I don't work hard enough. Yep. FaceTime. <laughs> so, that sounds uh, sounds right to me, Dan. You have kids, as do I. Yes, but I didn't when I was in graduate school. I didn't either. And, you know, I <laughs> my heart goes out to anyone trying to go through graduate school or their postdoc with children because it is tough. 
It Chil- is exhausting. Children by itself, if you had nothing else to do. I have the most respect in the world for people who stay home with kids. I would, I would not trade my day job for that job. I think it is so difficult. It doesn't ever stop. Yeah, I remember uh, my coworkers joke about when my wife and I had our second child, and about three days later, I showed up in the office, and uh, my coworker said, shouldn't you be on paternity leave right now? And I was like, Yes, this is my paternity leave. I'm on leave from paternity. Yeah, get me out of here. <laughs> That's right. Um, we are excellent husbands. We're very good. I will say we had some some family in town, so there's yeah, plenty. And of you support. have to. Yeah. But but this is later. This is this is the daycare setup. Uh, it it opens at a certain time. You can't drop the kid off at two a.m. and and get in the lab. You you've got designated open hours. And then I know a lot of daycares. If you don't go get the kid by 5 or 5.30, they will either charge you or penalize you or the poor your poor child is playing all by themselves yeah. with Tinker Toys. Yeah, not to mention your child thinks you've abandoned them. Uh, yeah, I know my daycare, 6 p.m. is the cutoff, and then I believe you start getting charged by the minute yeah. or by the five-minute increment after that. So, uh, yeah, you really are restrained in a very, um, <laughs> a very hard, fast way. And so... You know, Dan, I think about this and, you know, we obviously are very familiar with what it's like to have kids and we knew what it was like to be a grad student or postdoc. Yeah, so it's the can... same. Let's just say it is the same thing in any workplace. Mm-hmm. If you have kids, you are time constrained. Yeah. You know, as I was thinking, I was reading this question and I was thinking back on my time in graduate school. Dan, do you do you remember what you did with your time before you had kids? Yes, I do. What did you do? Uh... I played video games, I watched TV, I had hobbies, I was trying to learn to paint. I, I, it was just incredible to look back on. I used to get bored. Like I used to just have enough free time that I'd be like, oh, I just I need to learn something new or, or go do a hobby or watch TV. Yeah, when's the last time you were bored? I don't know. <laughs> now we have a podcast. That's true. Uh, you know, I can't remember, Dan. I presume that I used to come home from work, come home from lab, and maybe sit down on the couch for a few minutes. But now, you know, when you have kids, you know, you work and then you walk in your door at home and it's go time. I mean, it's almost as mentally exhausting, if not more so, uh, once you get home than than it is at work. But but on the other side of that, because time is limited, I waste much less time now. I mean, I'm I'm spending time with my son and, and when I'm at work or when I'm trying to get something accomplished... I'm not also watching TV and browsing the internet and all of those other things I used to be able to do. Yeah, and that was the first thought I had when I read this email, Dan, and that is there's nothing like having kids to force you to be a better time manager, whether you like it or not. I mean, I don't know about you, but I am infinitely better at managing my time now that I have kids along with my full-time job podcast and other responsibilities yeah you don't have a choice and i think you can have that even if you don't have kids there are people that have commitments or hobbies or they play in the orchestra or whatever it is once your time is spoken for you start to use the other time just to, to kind of keep up to get things done absolutely and i can remember you know being in lab as a grad student as a postdoc and both of those experiences for me there was a mix of people who had kids and people who didn't have kids in the lab. I certainly remember the ones who had kids had these restraints with, with childcare or school and, and they would work more normal, you know, nine to five, nine to five thirty hours. But 
all of the individuals without exception that I remember who were parents were super productive while they were in the lab. Yeah, because you can't say, oh, if I go to lunch now, then I can start the gel after lunch and then I'll just be half an hour late getting out. Like that doesn't work. You you just have to do the next thing because otherwise you're going to hit that wall at the end of the day. Yeah, I remember you talking about Dan, somebody you had in your lab um, who was very similar. Um, yeah, I wish I I was nearly that productive. I mean, we were all everybody stayed late. All the all the grad students, the other postdocs, we'd be there. You know, I remember leaving after dark a lot, a lot of nights, going in on Saturdays and Sundays, and I published you know one one hundredth of of what this other person did, just because she showed up. She didn't take a long lunch and and just very methodical got through her day and got all our stuff done. Yeah, and you know this highlights one of the things that I often tell students who are um, during their training, and that is I always thought that it was important, and I think it's a good idea to work while you're at work so that you don't have to work all the time. This might be a good time to go back and listen to the Pomodoro episode. <laughs> Maybe so, um, but this was something that I actually really followed when I was in graduate school. I didn't have children, but I had a wife and I had friends. and You had people who humored you and pretended. Well, I had people who would agree to spend time with me. And, Fair enough. Um and, you know, and that was important to me, you know, not just from a personal standpoint, but from a productivity standpoint, to have other things in my life besides lab to keep me focused on lab. And so certainly I had colleagues, other grad students who seemed to be in the lab all the time, late at night, on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. But one decision I made was that I was not going to work on Saturdays if I could help it. That was going to be time for me, for my wife, for my friends. You remember, Dan, we had a lot of good times hanging Saturdays, out on man. Saturday. Oh, Saturdays were it was, great. It was great. And, you know, I tell students that now, and I think, like, oh, you, you didn't work on Saturdays. And, yes, occasionally there would be a Saturday if I had a really key experiment or a, a deadline coming up that I would work. But for the most part, that was time for me, for my family, for my friends. Um, and I think that's really important. You know, I think it's okay to have those boundaries, have that time, but the only way I was able to do that and also be productive and, you know, finish in a reasonable time and uh, be productive the way I needed to was to really be productive during those other times, right? During those sort of normal working hours. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So I think people who have overcommitted their time or have kids, either one, will recognize Here's how to get things done in the lab with the time you have. Um, we've got the time management episode you can go back and listen to. The root of the question here for me is, what about the PI? So even if you are productive, and, and it sounds like the person is productive, they're making progress on a paper, they feel good about their progress, that doesn't mean that the PI perceives that same level of, of activity and value. Um, so, so now what? That's right. I mean, we've been talking very generally about uh, managing time in lab with family and, and friends. And you're right. This question, you know, the you know, the question states the person's very well organized and is making progress, but is worried um, about the perception that PI is having. It seems like other people are spending more time in the lab. And I would just say the important thing to do, especially if you're in a situation where the hours you have to work vary drastically from the PI's hours or the typical workflow of the lab is just to have regular communication with the PI. Make sure 
the PI is aware of, you know, the progress you are making, if the two of you don't overlap as much as maybe you otherwise would. Um, and I know PIs have their own schedules too. I, you know, we had a friend in grad school, Dan, I remember, you know, I remember him talking about, he liked to come in really early and, you know, leave at a reasonable time. And the flow, the normal ebb and flow of that lab was the PI would show up around noon and stay till eight or nine o'clock at night. And, you know, that ended up being a challenge. Yeah, that matters. The If you're not getting the FaceTime, and, and I don't mean the app, I mean, <laughs> if your PI doesn't see you working, there can be this perception that you're not working. And and I like the idea that you go and, and you have a regular meeting, we've talked about that before, where you say, here's what I intend to do this week, here's what I got done last week, here's the, you know, I'm on figure number two out of seven of this paper. I, I think making sure that you're showing that you're making progress in a, in a pretty explicit way makes sense because then they can't come back and say, well, you're not doing enough hours. Yeah. And you know, you hear this all the time, but you know, one nice thing about graduate school and postdoc and working in the lab is that you don't have set hours, but that's a double edged sword because also you could work constantly. There's no um, set go home time. So I think that's absolutely true no matter what your situation, but especially if, you're not in a lab where you're working side by side with the PI regularly is just make sure you're having that regular communication with the PI. And just like you said, Dan, you know, you're giving regular status updates. This is what I'm going to work on. This is what I've been working on. Here's my data. And, you know, I think most PIs will tell you what they really care about is your progress. And so just be upfront about, you know, what you're doing. You know, you say you're making good progress on a paper. Just make sure you're communicating that to your PI. I, I really hope that this person, uh, the PI, is also a parent because I think that makes a, a big difference. Before I had kids, I was at the air- airport this week and there was, a, you know, a kid crying in the airport. And before I had kids, I would have been like, why can't you control your demon baby? Get that thing to shut up. We're trying to. But but now that I have kids, I heard the kid crying and I was like, oh, those poor parents. Like, what can I go do to help? That is the most awful situation. You're trying to do something and you just like, you you have so much more empathy for people in that situation. Huh, that's having been through it. That's interesting, Dan. When I fly now and I hear a baby crying somewhere on the plane, I tend to just close my eyes, lay my head back and think, ah, I'm glad that's not my kid. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> That's the other side of it, but you're not mad about it. You're not. No, you're you're absolutely right. Your perspective changes, and that might be good advice, especially if you're in a situation where, let's say, you're a parent and you're in a transitional period where you're choosing a lab. Maybe you're new to graduate school, or you're new to a postdoc, um, or some new lab environment. That might be something to look for: is a lab where there's going to be understanding from the PI about having children. Maybe the lab culture. Some labs have a lot of parents in the lab. And so you may want to just be a little bit careful in going into a lab where you're the only one with restraints um, put on you by children. Yeah, and that's really important, especially because kids get sick and can't go to daycare. And daycares close for various random reasons. And you're going to have to go to the doctor and you're going to have to go to the, to the school play and you're going to have to do all of these different things. And if you're the only one who does that, it's going to be a little bit alienating, I think. And you're going to feel even more guilty. Yeah, that is right. Um, But one thing I also feel the need to say, this came up in our our New Year's episode, the importance of of family. And that is, even if you are in a situation where you're feeling pressure, uh, whether it's real pressure or just pressure you're putting on yourself, 
you know, you can't lose sight of the fact, especially with kids, ultimately your primary responsibility is for those kids. You know, you are the parent that they have. The lab work will always get done. If there's something you have to do for your kid, you know, that has to be your priority. Yeah, no one else can be their mother or father. It's just you. That's right. A couple other things that came to mind that I wanted wanted to say. The first is we've talked about PI expectations, but another thing that was mentioned was the other postdocs and grad students in the lab who seem to spend a lot more time in the lab than, than this person feels like they do. One, I would maybe question that. Sometimes you always feel like there's sort of this guilt culture. You always feel like everybody else is working harder than you. Maybe they're not. Uh, we alluded to this, but sometimes more hours in the lab doesn't necessarily translate to more work being done. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're having good communication with your PI, you know you're making progress. You know, if your colleagues are kind of giving you the stink eye, you know, you just can't worry about that. That's right. Hate is going to hate. Hate is going to hate, as we have said. Um, you know, the other thing I want to talk about briefly is, you know, I mentioned when I was in graduate school that I very seldom worked on Saturdays and worked really hard to do what I needed to do the other days of the week so that I could have that space and time for family and friends. But there was a period of time where, you know, I was feeling demotivated. My project wasn't going well. My PI was traveling a lot. And, you know, Dan, maybe you've been been at this place when you were in the lab. Sometimes you reach a point where you know, you know what, I'm really not doing what I need to do. That was roughly years one through five and a half. (laughs) So I would say pay attention to your gut because, and this goes really for everybody, parent or not. Now you tell me. (laughs) I think you know if you are really giving it the effort that it deserves, that it requires uh, from you. Uh, If you're not, then, you know, you can step your game up and that's fine. But if you really know that, look, I'm giving this all that I can right now, given the other commitments I have in my life, that just has to be good enough. Yeah, I was painfully aware that I was not making any progress whatsoever, <laughs> but no one said anything, so keep floating. You know, I think the take-home message is hang in there. Chances are you're a parent, you think you're working hard, you're making progress, you probably are. So just make sure you've got that really good communication with your PI and you should be fine. Yeah. Random anonymous person, let us know how it goes. Um, And if you have tips that you would like to share, maybe you have kids or you have gone through a situation where your PI was not cool with it and and you kind of had a conflict, write to us. We would love to, to hear your story and maybe share it on the show. Definitely. You ready, sir? It's that time. The etymology puzzle. The etymology puzzle. Last week's clue... This North American ungulate paws through ice and snow to reach its favorite foods, lichen and moss. Lichen and moss. I really very, searched hard. Very sparse answers this week. I, it was a tough one. Well, I scoured the beer store for some lichen and moss infused beers, and I was unsuccessful. This is pretty close. It's yeast and bacteria. And peaches and bourbon and yeah, all the things. Grass fed. What is it, Dan? The answer was caribou. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and I think the reason that this one was so hard to get is because it comes from the Mi'kmaq language through French. Mi'kmaq is one of the Algonquin languages um, from the Mi'kmaq tribe in, let's see, eastern Canada and the Maritime Provinces. But it means the one who paws. 
So caribou apparently eat this particular kind of lichen. About 70% of their diet consists of this lichen. And when it snows, they get to it by kind of pushing the snow aside. I, I would not have imagined that an animal the size of a caribou, the majestic caribou, would sustain itself on lichens and moths. Totally crazy. And here's the, the most surprising thing to me. This lichen grows three to five millimeters per year. So once they eat it, it can take decades or centuries to grow back, which is why they tend to thrive around very, very old growth forests. Um, makes you want to conserve old growth forests because that is a very specific diet for an animal to have. That is fascinating, Dan. All right, well, I will give you the clue for next week. We'll see how you do. Uh, the clue is, these horn-shaped seeds are worth their weight in gold. I'll read it again. These horn-shaped seeds are worth their weight in gold. This is another tough one, and I will give you a small hint. We mentioned some clues to this on a previous etymology puzzle. So listeners who want to go back through the archive, you can get some hints to the correct answer this week. Yep, I know. I'm going to go back and listen to all 27 of the previous episodes. Just in case. Remember to send your answer to puzzle at hellophd.com. I will randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an Amazon gift card. Tricky that was, Daniel. I don't have any Star Wars. I'm sorry. That was my Wookiee impression. Pretty close. Uh, it was passable. Okay, great. Dan, great show. Um, Can you call me Dando? <laughs> great. That's Star Wars, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, great episode. Great discussion. Thank you. Uh, we always love getting a listener, getting some listener questions. If you have a question about anything related to science culture or the lab, we would love to talk about it on the show. You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com, or you can send us a tweet at hellophd or reach out to us on the Facebook page. And we ask that if you have one person you can share the show with, even if they don't listen to it, that's fine. If they know the resources here for when maybe lab gets a little tough or they run into a wall... Uh, just knowing that there is a reference out there, somebody who's talking about the issues they're facing, I think that's going to be helpful down the road. That's right. Uh, you are not alone out there, and we're here for you. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. When the Russians beat us into space, we didn't deny Sputnik was up there. We didn't argue about the science or shrink our research and development budget. We built a space program almost overnight, and 12 years later, we were walking on the moon. Yeah.